0: Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese.
1: Enlightenment. What is it? And how does it happen? The term enlightenment has sort of become a little watered down over the years. The better term is self-realized. Because you're realizing your true self. You're coming face to face with the truth. In Zen they call it the original face. But how much discipline does it take to get there? to realize that truth and become absolutely liberated from this world. Welcome to episode number 42. I have the absolute honor to be talking to Prem Vishrant today. He's a self-realized mystic, a guru, who runs a mystery school in Perth, Australia. Helping others to become self-realized and liberated. His story is fascinating. And it's one that I relate to very deeply. He had a transformative near-death experience. He used to be a very successful businessman. He's learned under many mystical masters including arguably the most controversial of them all and he's experimented with meditation at the highest of levels he's put into discipline and 21 years ago when he was 45 years old it happened he became enlightened so i can't wait for you to hear this amazing story of how it happened and Also, I can't wait for Vishrant to drop some gems on you, as well as me. So let's go to the phone line. Welcome to the Peace Pod, Vishrant. I really appreciate you joining us. Yeah. So I want to go back. You end up in front of the mystical master, Osho.
2: Right, so there was a lot of trouble uh, in 1985 in America with Osho and uh, with the American government. Uh, he had been charged with immigration fraud and uh, I flew over from Australia at that time to be with him and I wanted to talk to him. And I got to the ranch and there was uh, probably 10 or 20,000 people there and you couldn't get within. 100 meters, 150 meters of Osho, let alone have a chat with him. And so uh, I rang up the New York Bulletin, told them that I was a journalist from Australia because I had a publishing company and I produced uh, suburban newspapers. I said, would they like me to uh, interview Osho for them as a freelance journalist? And they said, yes. And I said, well, you, you send me back an invitation to this address. And they sent back the invitation for me to uh, be the journalist. I presented it to the Rajneesh people and they gave me uh, an interview with Osho. And that's how I got the interview.
1: Were you looking to get the interview for your company or you just wanted to get close to him?
2: I just wanted to get close to him.
1: So you were already on your spiritual journey and you saw a mystical master. You saw a guru right there larger than life and you're like i need to get close to see what's going on here
2: yeah it's it's uh it's only being able to see him from 150 meters away wasn't enough i really wanted to feel him i wanted to be in his presence and see what everyone was talking about and uh, i was arrogant i was arrogant as uh, I, I was at the top of my game in the publishing and uh, i thought that I didn't understand what enlightenment was. I didn't understand really. I just saw him as a very knowledgeable uh, fellow who was very tra- charismatic.
1: A philosopher, if you will.
2: Philosopher, yeah, yeah. And then I sat in front of him and he blew my mind.
1: Okay, take me there.
2: Okay, so I had a series of questions that I was going to ask him. And I started the first question and I was looking at him and my my mind went into silence. And what I could do was I could read the question one word at a time, but I didn't know what I'd said before or what was coming. I was so forced into the moment in that interview that all I could do was read the questions and uh, his presence, the presence that he carried had affected my mind so strongly. And I, I had a very strong mind. I was a businessman. It was, it was quite a, it was the first time that had happened where I'd lost it completely. Wow! As far as I had no future, I had no past, I was just here. I had no idea what I'd said, and I had no idea where I was going. So I just continued what I, reading what I'd written to him. He answered the question. And then, I, in a way, I repeated the question because I didn't even realize I'd asked it. And he leant forward and he said, you're not listening to me. <laughs> And it just was like, oh, it just blew me back. Because the man had a tremendous presence. He was awake. Yeah. Yeah. And I did not understand until then that I was in the, in the presence of something that was very different than I'd ever, ever come across
0: before. Yeah.
1: Man, those eyes must have went right through you.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: He had a very fatherly type presence. Like he was the father of everyone in, in the area.
2: He he did, but he was also what the Indians might call Shiva, right. destroyer of illusion.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> First of all, is the interview on the Last Testament, which is a series of all the interviews he did at that time with publishers? Yes,
2: it's on there, yes. It is. And I, I was interviewing him about the current situations in Australia, what had happened to the commune in Australia and, and how people were being affected by uh, everything that was happening in America and, and the visits of Shiva, Sheila Silverman. So I was interviewing him on the current politics of what was happening rather than mm-hmm. anything spiritual.
1: So the, the, the Sheila incident already happened?
2: I, well, yes, it had already happened. Yes. Yeah. But he hadn't been, um, indicted by the American government yet.
1: Yeah. They really went after him, didn't they? Sure they did. Yeah. They really did. I was
2: there when he was, uh, when he was arrested.
1: Oh, so your what was your reaction seeing that happen?
2: It was shock, really, because um, I had uh, so much admiration for this fellow, and uh, to see him in handcuffs was uh, shocking mm. for me. Yeah, and it was, in a way, heartbreaking too, because uh, I was very—I I had become, probably as a result of the interview, very devoted to him. I actually saw that there was something there that was really different that was really worthwhile no one had been able to stop my mind before not even me
1: right <laughs> you are a man of serious ambition
2: i was ambitious yes
1: <laughs> i understand I, I was as well
2: oh uh, well you gotta look at ambition it's an interesting subject ambition is when people aren't satisfied with what is it's a form of suffering yeah. and in the west we admire ambition not realizing that the more ambitious a person is, the more actually dissatisfied with life they are, yeah. and actually the more they suffer.
1: Right. You ended up becoming a disciple. You, you were initiated was, into, into sannyas, right?
2: I was already a disciple. I took sannyas in, uh, in the early 80s, uh, about, I think, three years before I met him. But um, I was in love with the ideology of it all. I was in love with the philosophy of it all. I didn't really understand that it was about going beyond the mind.
0: Right. Right.
2: Um, so I was ignorant of, of what true higher consciousness actually is.
1: And he gave you your, your name, Vishrant, right?
2: Yes, which is interesting too. I wrote to the ranch uh, when he was there, uh, applying for sannyas, suggesting that I could come and help them run it. And they sent me back the name Vishran, which means relax or (laughs) Or restful. And it was like, oh, I see. (laughs) That was a hit. That was. It's called a Sadhana. It's a teaching. Um, What you need to do is relax.
1: Right. Right. And it was
2: Prem Vishrant, and that means restful love.
1: Okay. Okay. And as a
2: businessman, that was something that I was actually lacking because as a businessman, I was more like a Sherman tank. I was more like a war machine. And so uh, when I got given the name Restful Love, it was something I wasn't. And it was something that I had to have a look at and see if there was a way that I could facilitate that.
1: Right, right. And so you were there for a lot of Osho's discourses and you got the field, of Buddha field.
2: It was the second time I was there. The first time I was there was the year before, and I spent four months there. Mm. But I didn't get to feel him the same way. I didn't, because I couldn't get close to start with, um, within 150 metres. And I missed him somehow. I was there for the the fun. Because around Osho, it was a party. There There was... thousands of people partying all the time because he taught to celebrate life and and heck did they celebrate life
1: yeah yeah zorba the buddha right
2: well zorba the buddha is an interesting idea it's what he referred to as the new man but zorba the buddha actually isn't someone who's still ego-based it's someone who's awake Who's actually acting in and operating in the material world? Yeah. So the new man, as he put it, wasn't necessarily the sannyasins who weren't awake. It was the ones who had woken up, who were still in the world, who were celebrating the world. Zorba, the Buddha. Uh, people with get into spirituality and quite often they get into a lot of denial. You know, they deny a lot of things. They deny a lot of the joys of life. And Osho could see quite clearly that that actually wasn't a requirement for higher consciousness. What was a a requirement for higher consciousness was to learn to surrender, to learn to let go. Right. Um, But not necessarily of material things. You let go of the mind you let go of your ideas your beliefs your understandings you let go of the mind and then you're not attached to anything anyway
1: right right mm. and i've heard you say that you referred to osho as your spiritual father is
0: that correct
2: I, I did yes because it was in that glimpse that he gave me that i realized i was something may greater than an ego-based being there was something way way bigger here than what i thought i was and so he was like my initiator he cracked the seed open and it actually started to uh germinate so he was in i see him as a germinator germinating the seed of consciousness in people and that's why i call him my spiritual father because i feel he germinated the seed here
1: right that makes sense before we move on to the rest of your story Are you surprised at how big Osho is becoming, even 30 years after his death?
2: Not really. Um, Look what happened to Jesus.
1: You know, it's it's a very interesting comparison as far as, you know, status goes, because it took Jesus many, many decades to catch on. He was popular amongst a small demographic. And then when the Roman Empire implemented christianity like 300 years after the death of jesus then you know it became really really popular Uh, osho had the advantage of books and recordings so you know there's 700 osho books and there's thousands of recordings of him giving the teachings and and showing people how to become self-realized so you know, it almost expedites the process of spreading the truth. So here we are 30 years after his death, and he's got millions upon millions of students and disciples out there in the world, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's, it's, it's a phenomenon.
2: The problem with getting as big as he got, even while he was still alive, is you lose touch with a lot of the people who are, are your disciples, because you can't be with them, and you can't uh point out when they're going in the wrong direction because you're not even you're not even talking to it right and so it's easy to get into a a big religion like the osho religion and get totally lost in the ego because there's not someone there saying no that's not the right direction to go
1: sure you need
2: to be if you want to be guided you need to be with someone who's alive who will say, hey, you're off the track there. Get back on. Sure. And sure. even Osho said this. He said that uh, dead teachers are pretty much a waste of time. You're better off finding someone who's alive who can actually give you a bit of a clip. Tell you which when you're off the track.
1: Sure. Y- yeah, you know, Osho essentially could be the germinator, just like you said earlier, and how he germinated your, your path, your journey. Uh, so perhaps all his books and his recordings can, you know, sort of give someone their first awakening and motivate them and germinate them, and then they go and find uh, a living, a living master to help them uh, take it all the way, such as yourself.
0: Osho
2: talked about the flowers in his garden flowering, mm. and one flowered in Australia, in Perth here. I don't see any difference now between myself you Osho, the chair I'm sitting in the sky out there in front of me it's we are one, it is all one and mm-hmm. not from a place of memory or understanding or ideology but from a d- the direct knowing in this moment
1: right take me a few years later you're on a boat <laughs> and you're lost at sea Mm. and you're surrounded by sharks. Yeah. And the boat is going down?
2: Yes. It, it was underwater. It was just uh, close to the surface. so I could, we could, the, uh, the gunnels were underwater, but we could just sit inside the boat. The boat was c- going to sink completely, but it hadn't sunk completely. Oh,
1: my gosh. So not only is there a potential that you're going to die, It's at a higher level. There's potential you're going to be eaten alive.
2: Yeah. I didn't think that we were going to survive. I actually didn't believe that we were going to survive. I thought our time had come because there was two very large sharks circling the boat for 18 hours. The boat had gone down and uh, the weather was atrocious. We were getting hit by king waves every five minutes. And so I didn't think there was much hope. Actually, I didn't have any hope really.
1: Was there a thought of suicide?
2: No, not a thought. No, it was just a fatalist, fatalistic attitude. Uh, there was grief, a certain amount of grief because I'd taken someone out. Else out with me oh. uh, miles off the coast, and there was a grief uh, in me that I'd taken I, someone else's life was going to be lost as a result of mine. Wow. Someone for, and it was in that uh, caring for that person that I found a little bit of love in my heart because sitting in the water, in I, 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 all the things I had the land I had, the houses I had, the cars I had, the business I had, the reputation I had it was worth nothing. I had this little bit of love for this woman who was in the water with me. And and I recognized that that was valuable. And that was the only thing I had that was valuable, that little bit of love. And that was a turning point in my life because I realized I had been pursuing um, materialism and I'd missed the boat. I had really missed the boat, even though I was in the sunken boat. I'd, I, I had missed the boat because I'd missed hearts. I'd closed myself, so much to be a businessman, I'd miss the beauty of heart.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm.
1: Wow. It's, it's just, it's, it's powerful. And, and if you die, no, the chances of your body being found is slim. I mean, you and this other person would just be deleted, essentially, just deleted. And that is very humbling. So we who saved I... you? Who saved you? Like a, a helicopter or something?
2: Uh, a ship called the BB... BP Endeavour, which was an oil tanker, it found us at two o'clock in the morning. Oh. We had a uh, we had a radio on the roof of the um, the boat, so the roof hadn't sunk yet, and I was able to use the radio to get a get a bearing for this uh, ship to find us, which was searching for us. It was very very heavy weather. And they were searching for us around about uh, 20, 20 well miles away, and so we gave them a, a a compass bearing and they came and found us but the it was so rough they had trouble rescuing us because it was a cyclone coming in from the north
1: wow yeah. and so you, what was the feeling like when you get on that boat and you know you're safe
2: we were both suffering from severe hypothermia so we collapsed
1: ah uh, okay
2: yeah and uh, we had to climb up <laughs> we had to get in the water and climb climb up uh a, a rope ladder a rope that, that hung rope nets down the side of this huge oil tanker and we had to climb up and so when we climbed up and i got to the deck i just laid on the deck i was had it wow <laughs> and my partner was had it too um i think i was devoid of feelings at that time
0: mm.
2: i was just totally wrecked totally exhausted
1: any any nightmares follow that like ptsd type symptoms
2: no no i didn't suffer ptsd uh, post-traumatic stress disorder it didn't happen no
1: okay so you come back to regular the real world and you give away your business you're like i'm ready to move on and seek the heart
2: yeah well uh within nine months of that uh, i walked into my own companies and gave my companies to my staff as a as a gift and walked out broke, Uh, I went in search of my heart because I realized it was the only thing on this plane, this planet, that's worth anything. Love is the only thing that's really worth anything here. It's the true jewel of consciousness. And I recognized that as a businessman, for me, not for anyone else, but for me, I couldn't remain in business and find my heart because i had been programmed too strongly to be uh, a business warrior. And that involves defensiveness. Yes. And so I, I gave my businesses away so I could go in search of heart, and that took I, I wandered around Australia basically as a bum for four years uh, in search of my heart, and I found my heart, and I found my heart, and I realized that if I was going to serve heart, I needed to be in service of something besides myself. Yeah. And I chose to be in service of human beings, so I went back to school and studied naturopathy and psychotherapy so I could ha- have some skills so I could be in service to other human beings.
1: Yeah, we have a lot in common. Uh, I, I also am a, a, an, a man of ambition. You're, you're at, you're so right because it's so hard to follow the path and still be attached to the, the go, go, go mentality, achieve, 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 you know, and, and in this new era with social media, now you, you, there's analytics everywhere. <laughs>
2: yeah. You yeah, well, I had to let go of uh, the image of myself. I had to become a nobody going nowhere. Yes. Um, and, and it took a while because I'd been a somebody that was uh, impressive for yes. too long. Yes. And I wanted to become a nobody again. I wanted to I wanted to meet people who didn't know me who I could just say hello to who didn't want something from me because I I was doing so well. I just wanted to be ordinary.
0: Right.
2: And um and I got to be very ordinary. I got to end up in soup kitchens sometimes because I was so poor. And I loved it. I just loved being a nobody, going nowhere, not having to prove anything to anybody.
1: Yes. Yes, see, I, this is where I'm at now. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm connecting with what you're saying. When did you start seeing lights? When did you start having satori's and experiencing what it's like to go inside yourself?
2: So after the, the boat incident, which happened in February, uh, I entered a mystery school uh, in Italy uh, in June beginning of June or end of May. And I was there for five months. a so Mystery School was involved in having a look at yourself, silent meditation, self-inquiry. It was totally dedicated to higher consciousness. I was run by a guy called Paul Lowe or Tirtha. He was one of Osho's uh, sannyasins. Mm. And and that opened me up a great deal. He was, a, he, was great for, he was great for me. I opened up a great deal. And I was practicing uh, a lot of self-inquiry, asking the question, who am I? Mm. Um, and the technique back then, which was a Zen technique, was you answer it. So you ask the question, who who, who are you? You ask yourself and you answer, it. I'm a man. And then you discount the answer. You throw the answer. And then you just keep asking the question and throwing the answer. And I do this for hours and hours on end. I, I learned about it uh, in um, mystery school because we did seven days of it, which is pretty exhausting. But I was walking on the foreshore uh, in Adderdale in Perth, uh, I had started at about six in the morning and I'd been just asking the question casually of myself and walking, enjoying the the, the, the river and the sun and the wind. And I was asking the question, who am I? And suddenly I, I started to experience myself as the emptiness and the everythingness at once. Mm. And it, it, at that particular time, that Satori, there was also the knowing of self as everything is love. But it was just huge. It was just nothing that I could ever conceive or even ever explain, which I'm trying to do now, knowing every particle in the universe as self. Mm. And that just, whoa, that just took me to another dimension of uh, seeking. Because you, and, Your curiosity
1: that, was peaked at that moment, right?
2: Oh, the thirst was peaked. And, but unfortunately, um, it was 1987. I didn't have a spiritual teacher who, I, who was available to me. And so the ego grabbed the experience and owned it. And when the ego owns something, it kills it. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It kills it because awareness goes back to the ego. Cause if you're experiencing yourself as the universe, that means beingness is, is aware of itself beingness or pure awareness is aware of itself and you are knowing yourself as the universe. Mm. which is our true nature, your nature, my nature, everyone's nature. It's not different. Some people might call it God, but it's everything. When that occurs, there's no way you'll ever think you're an ego again or a body again. It's, it's over. Even, even though you may come back to ego-based reality, you know you're not that anymore. You know you're not this identity. So from then on, I saw the body and the mind as a spacesuit just visiting here.
1: Right. The seeking continued. The curiosity was piqued. What did you do to enhance your development at that point?
2: I, I went out and bought a float tank. Mm. You know what? A flotation tank? Yeah, yeah. And I put it in a, in a lounge room in this house that I was living in. And uh, I used to spend six hours a day in the float tank, just going out, in other words, meditating. But I didn't have a spiritual teacher. I didn't have a guide to show me where I was what I was up to. And even though a lot was seen and, and there wasn't any more Satoris. Not really. It had it, had, it had stopped. What I had realized though, uh, in the float tank experiences, is that the thing that is in the way of heart and the thing that is in the way of enlightenment is closure or defensiveness. And so Uh, We look at it and go, well, we are just defensive machines, really, because we're survival mechanisms. So how do we undo a survival mechanism? And the only way is to consciously undo it. It doesn't happen magically. Mm. So I started undoing myself with the practice of openness. And so if you upset me and I contracted, I wasn't so much interested in how you upset me anymore. I was more interested in... what had contracted in here? What had been touched? What was the mechanism going on in here? And if it did touch me, what wounding was touched? And can I heal that by allowing myself to be with it? So it was a whole new process, an inward process of undoing and allowing. That had commenced.
1: Breaking patterns with self-awareness.
2: That too, breaking any belief system that kept me contracted to the world any belief system whatsoever that when the expectation wasn't met, I would contract. I wasn't interested in keeping.
1: Yeah, Vishran, I, I, what you're speaking of sounds like the first step in the Eightfold Path, you know, made famous by Gotama the Buddha, which is right view, to break all your views, break all your beliefs, to have, no longer have opinions.
2: If you're looking at um, Buddhism, it's it's a pathway to enlightenment, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's I got to I, because I was interested. I went and studied uh, the, all the old Buddhist masters at, at Murdoch University. I took six months out to go and just spend every day at the university studying wow. to see what these guys were about, what their methodologies were, and uh, the different teachings, and And when you boil it all down to what they all say, and they all say, is surrender. Let go, let go, let go, surrender. And so the practice of openness, which I called the practice of zero, because I had a baseline where I wasn't disturbed at all, and I called that zero, you know, where you're just resting. But anything above that, I was interested in, how come I'm above that? Why can't I come back to zero? So the game was zero. How can I get back to zero? And so I kept coming back to zero and to come back to zero, I had to let go of everything that was keeping me away from zero. And so it taught me how my mind was working, how it was contracting, how it was defending and how to let go, let go, let go, let go until once again, there was just nothing there.
1: Every mystical moment I've ever had Satori call it, whatever has always been during a let go. Yeah. It's never happened while I'm on the computer. It's never happened while I'm, you know, <laughs> promoting something on Facebook. It's, it's always been a feeling of, I don't care about that anymore. Yeah. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to lay here and yeah. relax. And none of that matters. And perhaps the reason why I haven't gone all the way <laughs> is because I keep coming back to the you know, this is what you're talking about, coming back to the the ambition, if you will, the
2: ego-based reality.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. See,
2: see, see what whatever we put first is what we serve. And at some point the seeker starts to put heart first or they start to put truth first. And when we start to really do that then it's all over. But until we do that, it's just a game of back and forth. And so at some point, uh, actually 11 years later after the experiences I'm talking to you about the the first major satori, 11 years later, I had done all this work on myself to open myself up, heal my wounding, drop all defence systems, and I went and saw an awake teacher for the first time in 11 years Mm. the moment that man walked into the room awakening occurred again Mm. because i was ready i the mind was surrendered there was nothing in the way anymore and so from that moment it took another year of a thousand satori's and then one day i woke up in the morning as the universe and I've been in the universe now for 21 years. Mm. It hasn't folded back. But i got to tell you, at some point, I put truth first. I put it more important than anything else, more important than money, success, uh, relationships, business of any kind. I put it more important than my own life. I put truth first, and my mind decided to serve truth rather than anything else. Mm. It is only in that totality that I believe awakening can stay, where our mind is in absolute
1: support of it. Did you feel that you had to renounce anything?
2: I didn't give up any. Look, when I became a naturopath, uh, I gave up smoking cigarettes because Mm -hmm. it was ridiculous to be a naturopath and smoke cigarettes. Right. That's the only thing I've ever given up. Alcohol and all the other things dropped away before awakening. in this process of letting go and allowing myself to be with what is uh, to be tenderly okay with everything that appeared all the addictions dropped away because i wasn't trying to escape anymore from feeling anything and so everything had already dropped away and i hadn't given up a thing it dropped away because i wasn't trying in any way shape or form to protect myself from feeling anything inside myself any longer
1: so you're of the same feeling as Osho? Is you don't you stay in the marketplace? You don't have to go to a monastery or no?
2: Well, I can understand why people do that, but I actually stayed in my. I was married and I had children, and I was supporting another family, and I stayed and I continued to do that. I ne- I didn't opt out, though. After awakening, um, it, everything did change because I went silent inside. And uh, people would come to me for naturopathy or for counselling, uh, psychotherapy, and I'd sit and I'd be silent and they would sit and they'd be silent and they wouldn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> so I lost I lost my client base uh, in a matter of two months, I think, because I, there was nothing inside of me that wanted to to actually talk. I was very silent. And I, sat, I actually sat for another, for, for a total of six months before another teacher came to me and said, hey, you need to come out again. Because it was just profound contentment for no reason. There was no wanting to come out. There was no wanting to talk. I just like to sit still all day long and stare into space. And I guess that must have looked a bit insane to a lot of people because they don't understand what awakening is. But I was profoundly content for no reason
1: so you're married and you're awakening right in front of your family's eyes what do you do you go into the bedroom close the door and just sit there and meditate like all day
2: I had a, in that at that time I had a house that had two lounge rooms and one lounge room uh I I, I sat in the lounge I sat in the lounge room and in that lounge room it was a big lounge room it had a bathroom and I used to sit in there and uh I had it There there had been enough uh, money to finance the family at that stage, Um, so they weren't going completely broke. Um, But my income had died off. But what had happened was people were starting to come and see me because they recognised that something had happened. Mm -hmm. They recognised that there was a presence and they started to come and sit with me. And so satsang began. The uh, satsang meaning meetings in truth or uh, truth group. And so mm. satsang began and I started getting people coming to sit with me. And within probably six months, I had maybe 10 to 20 people coming regularly every day to come and sit. Mm. And so uh, that was on donation basis in the beginning. And um, that, that brought in enough cash to to feed the family because uh, you still have to, if you're in the world and you have a family, you still have to feed them.
1: Yeah, if you do. And
2: pay the, pay the rent or whatever you have to do. Yeah. So there was a process where I went pretty much broke because I wasn't doing anything. And also, uh, people didn't really understand what had happened to me. So a lot of things, uh, when you wake up, you don't get a great deal of support. People want the old you back. They don't want the new you because the new you is is dangerous because it can't be controlled. It can't be manipulated. It can't be put in a box anymore. And so there's not a great deal of support in the West for someone waking up. And so there has to be this, uh, from the mind's perspective, attitude towards I'm I'm serving truth, that's it. Because the world will try to pull you back to ego-based reality.
1: Mm. I love how you put that. Yeah.
2: And everybody I knew did try to pull me back from being everything to being a somebody again. Everyone wanted the body back.
1: And a lot of people mistake. I mean, in my experience, a lot of people mistake it for depression too, right? Like, I I had somebody approach me, like, "You're depressed." Like, not mm. really. I'm 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 like I'm dissolving.
2: <laughs> so in depression, you're not pro- profoundly content for no
1: reason. <laughs> right, right.
2: Or you're profoundly unhappy for no reason.
1: <laughs> right. In depression, but, but sometimes uh, when when that ego starts dissolving, it's it's a Uh, purification type of process oh
2: yeah absolutely but i began that way way earlier i began that i was in mystery schools in the 80s taking myself apart with osho and so by the time that next awakening occurred there had already been a a great deal and a great deal of years of purification a a reading and so there wasn't there wasn't much left actually
1: You were developing yourself and purifying yourself for, for a long time.
2: Yes. Yes, I was into clarity. So I was into present moment awareness, big time. Um, I wasn't into living in my head, full stop. I didn't like it. I preferred to be in, in reality. And so before even before I met Osha, I was into extreme sports um, mm. because they brought me into the moment. I loved right. it. Right. Race, motorbikes, cars deep sea diving, anything that was dangerous really uh, that brought me into the moment uh, fascinated me because at that stage I didn't understand that what I was really in love with was the minute, was, was the moment, the present moment awareness. I thought it was the extreme sports, but it wasn't. Mm. I was in love with meditation. I was in love with being present to reality.
1: So how long would you sit there for? Well, like, What's the longest streak of meditation and just? Lounging like a frog. I,
2: well, I sat for six months. I sat 18 hours a day. <sighs> without moving a great deal because I was totally still inside. And you think that takes effort, but there's no effort whatsoever. I was totally still inside. I was like a rock, like a stone.
1: So what'd you do for the other four hours? Just sleep or? You
2: sleep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you'd sleep for four hours and then you'd sit there for 18
2: Uh, It was more like six hours I was asleep, I think, six hours, yeah.
1: And when you get this deep, you correct me if I'm wrong, when you get this deep and you're having these experiences and this pleasant relaxation, how could someone ever go back to television and movies?
2: I can't suspend reality. And so when you go and see a movie, you suspend reality so you can go on the emotional roller coaster of the story, which is what movies are about. I, I can't do that because I'm here and I'm always here and I don't live here. Uh, There's no emotional roller coaster.
1: <laughs> so why not just sit there for 16 hours? You're going to see some things, right?
2: I realize it's not about seeing things. Um, you see, you called it an experience, but it's just being. It's not an experience. It's A being. state
0: of being, yeah.
2: Being. I, I came out because my teacher asked me to be out, and also he reminded me of what Osho had said, if you find the light, share it with the world, don't hide it. And so I came out and started sharing it more and being more in the world.
1: How much backlash did you get? I mean, the word enlightenment is, uh, it's almost become a watered down word. People uh... oh, backlash.
2: In the beginning, uh, I, I became very inhuman. So I would not blink. I'd just sit with my eyes open for hours and hours on end. And if I had a conversation with someone, it was the same. There'd be no blinking, there'd be no gestures because I was so silent inside. So it was a little weird. I actually had to learn how to be human again so I could communicate with people and not scare them in a way. Because Westerners aren't used to dealing with an enlightened person. They're dealing with, used to dealing with someone who's ego-based. And when you're enlightened, you're not thinking anymore. You're not, you don't have an editor anymore. You're raw. And so you're not in your head judging what's going to come out. You're just talking. But there's nobody talking. You're just maybe moving or walking. But there's no one moving or walking. There's nobody here anymore. The thing that used to be here, the I, has dropped. What is here is pure beingness. And, yeah, that talking can happen. Walking can happen. But there's no sense of a somebody doing it it's gone
1: yeah and and this is what a lot of mystical masters ancient and modern all say when they use the statement uh, die before you die and if you die before you die then you can never die yeah so i just want the listeners to really understand that that's freedom that's liberation what you're talking about Vishrant. freedom <laughs> liberation you mentioned the blinking of the eyes is, is 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 that why osho didn't blink much would you say
2: i would say there's just the the silence is so profound inside that there's just no movement whatsoever yeah just he, no movement. he
1: was still so still
2: but gangaji have you heard of gangaji i have not She's She's an Advaita data teacher. She said to me, uh, if you wake up, whatever you do, don't teach in your hometown because you're not going to get accepted. You, you, <laughs> it's
0: a good point. And,
2: and it's true. It's, uh, you don't get much support, if any, support in your hometown if you wake up. People aren't interested in supporting you.
1: Sure. That makes sense.
2: So you stand alone in surrender. Not in resistance, but in surrender. And uh, you serve truth. And in serving truth, you talk, you talk truth. You talk about it, and you actually allow people to be in your presence so they can start to feel it inside
0: themselves. Yeah.
1: So what's it like, you know, being a self-realized person and still having a family and still doing hobbies and living in the world and having dinner?
2: My life is in service to everybody I meet. I am in service to my family. I'm in service to anybody who comes anywhere near me. My life is that of service. Mm. I don't have an interest in, I really don't have an interest in myself.
1: I see. And what's it like now you have students or disciples, depending on how you look at it. You have this mystery school in Perth, Australia, and you're helping people yeah I have um, I think
2: 30 odd um, full-time and they are disciples Mm -hmm. and they have dedicated their life to higher consciousness and the way of the heart and the mystery school uh, is there to help them find themselves and to remove the obstacles that are in the way of finding themselves which is uh, what Osho was about which is what all mystery schools are about really removing the obstacles so you can uncover the truth which is already here Mm -hmm. it's not like there's a journey somewhere else. It's here already. Everybody is already at their final destination. It's just that their awareness is on their mind and through the senses, the world, rather than on itself. Mm. And so the 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 game is to actually let the mind become equanimous so it doesn't disturb anymore, doesn't attract attention to itself. So awareness can actually find itself and stay on itself. And so someone who has awakenings but still has a mind that is attracting attention to itself, keeps drawing awareness back to itself, flip-flops. You know, one moment they're everything, the next moment they're back as ego-based reality. And that, that must be a terrible amount of suffering in a lot of ways because the difference is huge. If the mind can surrender, if the mind can let go, if the mind can stay cool, it will, the mind then is supporting enlightenment.
0: Mm.
1: And you can still use it as a tool if you need to, say, solve a problem?
2: Oh, heck yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you must ride a pushbike or you must have at some stage. Right. Uh, and you could have a conversation with someone else riding a pushbike. Who's riding the pushbike or what's right. riding the pushbike? Right. Uh, we as adults have done everything so many hundreds or thousands of times, we don't really need to think about them to actually do them. Mm. We think we need to think about them. But the truth is, up until the age of four or five, we just about did everything from no mind because we, we hadn't learned to live in our heads yet. Right. It's just it, that as adults, we've lived in our heads so long, we think it's the only place that we can live or operate from. That's not true.
1: And language is a big part too, wouldn't you say? Do we, we learn language and now we have to describe things. And What you have is very hard to describe
2: impossible the truth of what we are can't be described it can be known as self but it can't be experienced because it's not an experience it's everything experiences appear in everything they're not everything it's so it's difficult the truth can't really be told but it can be known and so the whole idea is to find that and then dedicate yourself to that as a as a mind so you can live as that, but it's not that you live as that because you don't make it. The I doesn't make it to enlightenment because the I is a dream. You take away imagination and the I doesn't exist. It's not real. Mm. Being this is real. Who we are is real, but the I is not. It's not real. Mm. It can't be real. And it's even out of time. By the time the I even comprehends itself as an entity, it's already in the past. It's not even in real time not even here in real time it's in the past so when that drops awareness can be aware of itself and you're still here because you always were here <laughs> it's just that the thing that thought it was you is not here anymore
1: do you have your disciples go into uh, long stages of meditation like like at a zen like a zen monastery might do
2: Yeah, we do seven-day silent retreats and four-day silent retreats from time to time. Uh, Meditation is encouraged because uh, I believe that meditation actually helps people see through their minds, allows Mm -hmm. the development of a silent witness. It allows you to see the mind, get distanced from it, and so be able to take it apart. Um, I also advocate uh, self-inquiry, which is inquiring, who am I? What is this here what's going on because we, we we as egos think that we're everything we think we're kind of like uh, real even and and you tell someone that they're not real you tell someone who's ego based they're not real they're not going to buy it but it's the truth they're not real you take away your imagination you take away your thoughts and thoughts are imaginary who are you what are you what are you really because as a meditator i discovered that in the early 80s that i was here in no mind, well, if, if there's nothing happening in my head, if there's no mind, who am I? What am I?
1: <laughs>
2: right, right.
1: Yeah, Osho used to say that life is made up of the same thing that dreams are made of.
2: <laughs> Beingness is real. Everything else is a dream. Yeah. <laughs> Beingness is real. You see, you got to look at your definition of reality. And the definition of reality in spiritual circles quite often is that that does not change. Now, the only thing that doesn't change is beingness. It's always the same. Yeah. It's always the same. It doesn't change. Uh, Experiences come and go. The world comes and goes. Bodies come and go. People come and go. But beingness is always the same.
1: And how about when the physical body drops off and dies?
2: What we are can't be touched by death. But the mind can be. The body can be. Because they're terminal. But they're not who we are. But what we are can't be touched by death. But then people want to own that. They want to own that because they don't want to die. They want to own, oh, well, I'm being this. I'm not going to die. The thing that wants to own it does die. The eye does die.
1: And so what tips would you give someone who they can't make it out to Perth, they can't join your mystery school, they're on the path? What two or three tips would you give somebody? to?
2: Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. The first tip is find someone who's awake close to you or near you that you can go and visit because they're going to show you. They're going to show you where you're caught. They're going to show you where you're headed in the right direction. They're going to help you take you, you apart. Someone who's not awake is still stuck somewhere and they don't really know the way. If they knew the way, they'd, also, they'd already be free.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so the first thing is to find someone who's further ahead than you and uh, become their student. Uh, Let them be your mentor because the ego is a survival mechanism and it is going to try and survive. And really it is the unconditional surrender of the ego that facilitates awakening. And so you find someone who helps you learn unconditional surrender and helps you turn awareness back to itself. Mm. If you find someone who's awake, you're finding someone who's actually got a, a presence in that presence, your mind can start to let go and you can start to find yourself as truth. Mm. And so I say, find someone who's close or at least someone you can visit who may be in another town. Uh, the other thing, it's really simple. Just keep letting go, practice openness. My, my practice was the practice of openness because we as human beings don't practice openness. We practice defensiveness. We practice resistance to life. And if we get clever and examine it, every time we resist life, we create suffering for ourselves. It's not the world that creates suffering for us; it's us. We create it for ourselves every time we go into resistance to what is. Mm. And so, in learning to be open, you stop resisting what is, so you stop suffering.
0: Right.
2: Now, that's not enlightenment, but that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it is.
2: Not suffer uh and as human beings we love to share our suffering you know we (laughs) we we don't just hold it to ourselves but if we're not suffering we don't share it as well which allows us to be more in touch with heart more in touch with love so we've got something else to share love
0: Mm.
2: openness facilitates love and so even before awakening the heart can awaken Mm. openness counts for everything Mm.
1: even even if you get uncomfortable like if you're Resolving a resentment with a
2: particularly a loved if you get, one, particularly if you're uncomfortable, open up because that'll allow you to feel what's there and heal what's there. We we heal the wounds of our heart by feeling them, not by actually running away from them, not by defending ourselves from feeling them, but we heal them by allowing ourselves to feel them. Mm. And so openness actually allows us to heal the wounds of our heart as well, which is wonderful. It's nice to be able to be in the world and not wounded because our wounds tend to control us because we're frightened of feeling them. So we don't go there. We don't talk to that person. We don't say this. We we are led around by the nose by the fear of feeling our own wounding. And so in healing the wounding, you can be very free of that as well, free of codependence.
1: Openness. It's
2: beautiful. So that, that's the second thing. <laughs> Third thing, meditation. Yes. Because in meditation, we get distance from our mind and we can see what's happening. Otherwise, we're just caught in dream, analyzing, because analyzing is still dream. In meditation, we're, watch, we're set, we can develop detachment from the mind and see what the thing's up to. And as a result, we can do something about it. We can surrender it. We can let it go. We can stop it if it's in the way.
1: There's so many different types of meditations out there. Is there something specific? Or are you a Zen guy, just yeah. sitting Zazen?
2: Yeah, watching the breath. Just watching the breath, either at the lip or at the stomach. Uh, it's so simple, but all you're doing is bringing awareness to what's real. And the breath is real, and it's always with us. If it's not with us, we're dead. So <laughs> we've always got that breath to be with. Uh, you, when, I used to, when I first started meditating, I used to sit uh, in a half lotus position with my eyes at a 45-degree angle open to the ground so I could stay uh, conscious because if I shut my eyes, I used to go into dream. too too readily, and I'd watch the breath. And I fell in love with watching the breath because after a while, it became very beautiful. And then I started to, not during the meditation, but after the meditation, because I was detached from my mind, I started to see all the corruptions. I started to see all the damage. I started to see all the problems that my mind had been programmed with by my upbringing. And it allowed me to start to alter that, to have intervention, to change some of those things that were hurting me and hurting others
1: do you think that with even more discipline you could develop even further
2: (laughs) my mind is so disciplined you have no idea you know (laughs) discipline is an interesting thing it's like people they think they, they don't really understand discipline is simply not giving yourself a choice And so I would sit silently in a half lotus position for up to three hours, but no choice. The moment you give yourself choice, that's when discipline dies. And so to some degree, all human beings are disciplined because we went to school and we had to sit in the class Mm. and we had to look at things. But uh, if you're really interested in how discipline works, take away choice and you have discipline. I I gave myself no choice. Mm. That is what discipline is. No choice. You do what you decide to do, and you follow through on that. That also happens to be the uh, one of the, the recipes, or part of the recipe, for success in business or anything else as well. To give yourself no choice, to be total in whatever you're doing.
1: You're right. You're absolutely right. I in in my businesses through the years, I've always worked from home for the most part, and there's a discipline with that. You get up. You have to. You know, there's nobody there to say do this, do that, because you're not in a regular office. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So, so you're
2: in you're in America, but America is, uh, I think it's a 23-hour drive from here. Fly <laughs> <Right. laughs> aeroplane, uh, come over, sit with me, and I'll help you take you apart. I'll show you who you are.
1: I would love that. I yeah, really yeah.
0: would.
2: Because that's that's what my teachers afforded me, and mm. My love affair with truth is to give that back.
1: Yeah. As we begin to wrap up this beautiful recording, uh, I want to go back to Oregon in the Osho days real quick. I I always was so impressed that amongst the controversy, amongst the American government in the city of Oregon and the FBI coming down on Osho and his community, It's always been very impressive to me that this man was so calm during such controversy, almost as if he was just playing a game, just
0: like, oh.
2: Yeah, but he wasn't there. You you see, there is an absence of him. What was there was beingness, aware of itself, and beingness can't be touched by anything. Mm. And he was living as beingness. He couldn't be touched. Not possible because he wasn't there. As an eye, he had already dropped.
1: Even when they yeah. threw him in jail for those 10 days or whatever it was.
2: That's yeah, very hard for ego based people to understand because they personalize everything, but the personal disappears completely. Right. You're here, but there's nobody here. There's sitting, but there's nobody sitting there's no sense of somebody sitting so it doesn't matter what comes in from the outside it's not going to touch Venus. what we are is impeccable cannot be touched pristine cannot be touched and to know yourself as that you cannot be touched osho was awake he knew himself as that he could not be touched no matter what happened he could not be touched mm. well he's free he was awake the whole idea is to wake up so you can be free of this. This is a prison. This is the mind is the prison and the bars of which are made of fear.
0: Right. Right.
2: And it's not who we are. We think it's who we are, but it's not who we are. Mm. We are pure beingness. We're a pure beingness and we're always here.
1: Well, you're here, so it's, But what's next for you? Are you just going to work on this mystery school and keep taking disciples, keep helping people?
2: There is no next. I'm here with you. And right now, my interest is in you because you're a seeker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen some things. I've had, I've had flashes, man. So Yeah.
2: And you have an interest and you have a thirst. And as a result of that, I have an interest in you.
1: That's cool. That's, I, uh, I met a guy in 2012 at an ashram. And I call him the Blue Antelope, because I don't know if he wants his name told. And it turned out he was a mystic.
0: Ah. And so what's, a,
2: what's the definition of a mystic? This is a good one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, my understanding is someone who has mastered or is mastering their inner science, someone yeah. has transcended.
2: For me, it's someone who has the inner gaze, locked on itself, locked on beingness. Mm. The mystic is always looking in. So awareness is always looking in, even though it might be out and on the mind and in the world, it's still looking at itself. Right. So the mystic is quite often uh, depicted as the hooded character, always looking in, always looking in.
1: Yeah. I, I noticed right away that he was different. You could, <laughs> you could smell... The fragrance of compassion Uh right and so we were in a dorm room together (laughs) and i was in a dorm room with him for five or six days Uh and he never offered any information Uh i had to ask Uh and i asked a lot of questions i was i just turned 33 years old i was the beginning stages of a seeker.
2: So how old are you now? I'm 40. Aha. Uh-huh. So seven years down the track and here we are, yeah. you and me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You're locked in a conversation with another mystic.
1: That's right. That's right.
2: One of the Ain't... things that's interesting about that is you don't talk to people who aren't willing. This is only for the willing. It's not for the unwilling. There's right. no point trying to convert anyone. There's no point being a missionary. It is only for the ones who want to
0: know.
1: That's right. Yeah. I didn't realize that until I was driving home. And I was like, wow. He only, talk, he only talked when I asked. If I didn't, he wouldn't even have said anything besides hi and by, probably. And uh, anyway, that's short, long story short. I That's when my mind changed. And I started looking at someone like him as a role model instead of, the media moguls yeah i you know i always looked up to the you know the howard sterns and the oprah winfrey's the media moguls the billionaire guys. look
2: for someone who's happy and model of them
1: and he was he was unshakable
2: yes he
1: was unshakable and, this- and he had a bag just
2: a it's so funny, in, in, in capitalism, in the capitalistic society that we live in, uh, we believe that we can be happy if we get things, but look at the people who have things, are they really happy? No. I don't think so.
0: No. You
2: see, if happiness is the goal, go for awakening, because then you can be happy for no reason. My definition of happiness is profound contentment for no reason.
1: Right on. This, this, it's a beautiful thing, man. Uh, so
2: it's just a ticket come and say hello <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: it's so tempting you have no idea i will i will mull that over for the next few days
2: oh probably sure. in the get for ages <laughs> we're playing a wonderful game together this is the game where we both love truth
1: yeah yeah i do sometimes reflect and look back on that that moment in 2012 when i met him. And if I had just put more discipline in.
2: Oh, no, it was meant to be. It was meant Everything to be. was meant to be. There's no mistakes ever. And so if someone starts waking up, they're meant to be waking up. If they're not waking up, if they're being led astray, they're meant to be led astray. There's no mistakes. Everything is perfect as it is because everything is karma, just playing out as it's meant to play out. Mm. We're meant to be having this conversation. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having it. Right.
1: Well, there is a reason why I asked you on the podcast. Very cool. The
2: the, the reason you asked me might not be what's the, (laughs) the, the reason. There may be another reason. It's like I got this intervention in my life, and I never even went looking for it. It just happened. Right. And any conversation you have with a mystic, as you call it, is intervention because it has the potential to take you somewhere else. That's right. Yeah. I understand. So it's, it's lovely. I'm enjoying you immensely.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> great. That's great. It's, it's like maybe, it, maybe it's like you sitting in front of Osho asking questions.
2: Uh, I, was so no, I was so green. I was so green. I didn't have a clue. And I was arrogant. And I, I was so – he just blew me away, man. He just blew me away. Yeah. And I had a second interview with him because um, I was given two interviews. I didn't take the second interview. I gave it to someone who spoke to him about drug addiction because I was too frightened to have another interview with him.
1: He scared the snot out of you. Well, I lost control. Right.
2: And, and of course, the ego always wants to be in control. And, he, and I just lost control.
1: And you lost it in front of an audience on top of it.
2: I lost it in front of a camera.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is the video out there?
2: Oh yeah, uh, it is out there, yes. It's in the Last Testament series. Um, I think you can only find it in Russia now. But I, I don't know. I don't follow. I, I don't. Yeah.
0: Follow.
2: It's just a piece of history. There's also videos of me when I was with my last set of teachers just falling apart, you know, because my mind couldn't hold itself together in the presence.
1: All right. I'm very happy to have met you. And, you know, this is great. So uh, this is going to go out to the podcast world and... Hopefully a lot of people are gonna understand you're the first enlightened mystic, I guess I like that word a lot, mystic, to come on this podcast. uh, And hopefully people get a lot from it. Where can people come say hello to you if they want to find you?
2: I'm in Perth, Australia. I live up in the hills, I'm a hillbilly. (laughs) I don't travel, I'm here because there's a community here of people who are in the process of uh, waking up, uh, preparing the mind, getting themselves ready, learning the way of the heart, and I'm here for them. Um, I feel that if I traveled, I'd kind of be leaving them behind because from time to time people go through what's called the dark night of the soul when they're getting involved with spirituality because they start opening up and undoing and everything starts coming up. And so I'm here for those people as well, as the people who might be getting closer to enlightenment, who are starting to experience beingness. So I stay here. So you have to come here. <laughs> or you have to find someone to play with over your way.
1: <laughs> to play with. Do you? It is a play, isn't it, Alila?
2: It's a play. It's a play. The best play, though. The
1: play of high consciousness. Uh, where can somebody find you on, online?
2: um uh, vishrant.org vishrant.org yeah all right or facebook uh vishrant print
1: thank you so much for taking the time vishrant wow what a what a conversation that was and what in addition to these 50 podcast episodes that are going to help you to open up and awaken and find inner peace Everyone has the ability to become enlightened because you're already enlightened. You were born enlightened. It's your natural state, like they say in Zen, the original face. But not everyone will because people stay in the ego-based reality, as Vishrant so eloquently put out there. And he broke down how the mind works. It's a survival mechanism. So, it, you know, listen to this recording Three times. That's what the doctor orders. Listen to this three times. Understand what's going on here. And understand the illusion that you're living in. It was no accident that I met the blue antelope at that ashram in July 2012. No accident that he just absolutely flipped my life upside down. Changed my life. Instantly. Instantly. And then, you know, that he mentored me for seven years and then boom. <laughs> then I discovered Vishrant and took a shot in the dark, sent an email to his mystery school. Hey, I'd like to have this guy on the podcast and boom. Here we are having this amazing conversation. And believe me, the conversation went past the recording. He stayed on the line with me for another hour and boy, did we have some conversation. So I'm, I'm so grateful for these opportunities, these things that keep happening to me in my life. And I know I have more work to do. And I'm happy to share that with you.
0: Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.